Hello and welcome to our fifth podcast. Today we will be sitting down with David Jewell, a communications professor at McMaster University. David has had a variety of different roles, including frontline clinical work, court clinic assessment work, teaching, and holding positions of the Jurvinsky Research Center Director and Regional Geriatric Program Director and CEO of the Alzheimer's Society. In this podcast, we get the opportunity to learn about his career path and focus on his journey to becoming a counselor and then his experiences practicing as a counselor. We also gain advice on the importance of mentors and about effective communication skills within the healthcare setting. Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We are so delighted to have you here. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you've come to where you are today? Uh, Thank you. I'm happy to be here as well. So um, I started my career with a a double degree in psychology and social work. But uh, entering university, I didn't really have a clear focus at all at what I wanted to do or what I'd even be good at. I tried as a strategy taking a variety of courses to test the waters and as it turned out my family has a strong social clinical helping background and all of my siblings my parents we've all followed the same pathway so looking back now it seems natural to have ended up in a, in a counseling profession to start my career what i didn't understand then was that working with children and families was more than connecting on a clinical level It also included sort of a mezzo community focus, a macro like policy lens as well, being an advocate for change in the community, learning how to write and influence how care is provided and design at a policy level, involving clients in decision making, empowering them at a grassroots level. I have learned a lot along the way. So I started my career with the Catholic Children's Aid Society in Toronto, straight out of school. In fact, I was hired before I graduated. Hardly knew what the organization was and didn't know what I was getting myself into. It was a very tough environment for a new grad. School does not prepare you for what you will confront. As an example, I had to assess parenting risk. Uh, I was presenting as an expert witness in court when I didn't feel like an expert at all. In my first year, if you can believe that, apprehending children from a distraught mother, children running from foster homes, going out on night duty with police officers, and being confronted with a child suffering from gross neglect and abuse. It was a very demanding job, and I remember feeling a bit out of control, wondering what is going to happen today. After about a year and a half, I returned to school at the U of T, got my master's in social work, and I went to work in a hospital setting. And over the years, worked in all areas, including psychiatry, medicine, emergency, and outpatient settings. All along the way, I had a number of strong mentors who were always encouraging me to try new things. And typically, I felt very nervous, but plunged in anyway. That's a theme for my life, really, just plunging in and seeing what happens. I started teaching medical students, and eventually, this led to a faculty appointment and other teaching opportunities. I started writing a few articles and uh, I was awful in the beginning. (laughs) I found I enjoyed balancing a variety of roles, frontline clinical work, teaching, developing new programs. For example, I developed a fast track pediatric parent child clinic and developed a unique counseling service where parents were guaranteed 
to be seen within two weeks of referral. I did brief solution-focused strategic therapy. Um, I love the creative side uh, of being in this environment where I, where I could explore and test the waters with new programs. Over time, I migrated into management, became the director of the department, and did some consulting in the community and had a private practice. And through my private practice, received referrals from physicians and also did court clinic assessments. Mid-career, I felt stagnant and I ended up going back to school. I did my Master's of Health Administration at U of T. But again, this was influenced by a mentor. So mentors have played a big role in my development in my career. During my time at U of T, I was working full-time and that was a lot of balance between coursework and working full-time and raising kids. Um, halfway through my degree program, I made a career change and moved to the CCAC as Director of Service. Next, I went to the Regional Geriatric Program and also took on role as a Research Director of a, a research program called JERIS. And during this time, I also took on a six-month role as the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society. As well, I took on a lead role in attracting residents to uh, a chronic care setting, connecting teaching sessions for residents um, who wanted to learn more about chronic illness. So at some points in my career, I was juggling a number of different roles, and I really enjoyed the challenge. I gradually moved more to a teaching role at McMaster and tied in what was in the uh, gerontology program and took on different teaching roles. Um, as I wanted to step down from full-time work, I guess I was around 59, 58, a college was, a colleague of mine was stepping down from their work in the Bachelor of Health Sciences program, and it was a perfect fit for me. So again, this wouldn't have happened if I hadn't networked over the years and stayed in touch and let people know what my interests were. So I'm at McMaster University now. I currently teach a third year communication course which involves a heavy reliance on the use of simulated patients in the lab setting, and as well, just developed with the tremendous support from six thesis students, a fourth-year advanced communication course. Next steps, I'm beginning to wonder about integrating more communication skills into the curriculum into the second year uh, BHSC program. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, there's definitely a lot of experiences that you've had and that's very interesting. Uh, I'd like to uh, touch a little bit upon your work as a counselor. Um, specifically, what were some of the challenges you faced in this role and what were some of the rewards of such a career? Great, sure. You know, one of the challenges was when I first started off, uh, there really wasn't much training. So I mentioned I was hired before I graduated and I started with the uh, Catholic Children's Aid Society and uh, you know I was really exposed to some very scary situations you know wasn't prepared to, for court wasn't prepared to handle how to handle home visits or how to take proper notes or what does night duty really involve and what to do if you suspect a foster parent is sexually inappropriate with a foster child how to respond to strong emotion from angry parents when you're taking their child away from them Looking back, it is alarming at how much I had to learn on the fly and how much more training was required for this position. Other challenges were learning to work in psychiatry, you know, with populations at high risk, understanding how to conduct a full assessment and develop a differential diagnosis, responding to people who might harm themselves or harm other people, learning how to be confident in my assessment of risk, 
building in a, a safety net, collaborating with colleagues when in doubt, learning to live with my decisions, trying not to take my, my worries home, working with people who, who have a chronic illness. For instance, I, for instance, I worked in nephrology and uh, worked with people who are coping with loss of work, poor self-esteem, watching people struggle to have a decent quality of life, you know, desperately hoping for a transplant, a kidney transplant. I admired resilient, re the resilient nature of people, how they, some really thrived no matter what, and I also saw those who struggled on a daily basis. I found that I needed to stay abreast with different counseling approaches, changing community resources, advocating for better services, designing better protocols. For instance, I developed a centralized intake or maybe more standardized forms or better client pathways. Thinking back, I, I should have done much more training such as teaching cognitive motive group therapy or sort of other efforts to sort of stay on top of things. Things change a lot um, and it takes a lot to stay on top of the changing trends. Uh, when working in a clinical setting such as psychiatry, emergency, um, I needed to understand my role as a team member, how to work with others, understand the expectations of the unit, of the program, and of the organization. I needed to appreciate the pressures of the organization and the mission, and yes, the politics. So those are some challenges. In terms of positives, I mean, there's so many. It's very fulfilling as you can literally, literally see lives being transformed making a difference. You know, a person's depression lifts, uh, they have better coping skills, they're attending uh, an AA meeting now to address drinking, there's reconciliation with a partner, uh, they're dealing better with anger management, lots of wonderful things like that. You know, and I found that clinical skills in social work, which I took for granted, was really highly valued in a hospital setting, as an example. Um, administrators, managers, team leaders loved sort of the group and team process skills, uh, relied on me uh, in terms of how to help respond to dysfunctional families or situations, giving bad news, managing family meetings, networking with community resources, identifying policy changes, or even working with uh, interdisciplinary team members. Lots of things were valued. And I found the skills are very transferable. You know, you work in clinical settings and the community, you can work privately, you can teach, you can migrate to more of a policy government positions. Um, and some clinical settings allow you to follow individuals over time and others might see daily or weekly turnover. So I guess the last pro would be that I learned to advocate for clients and mentoring other students as well yeah, to begin their careers, which was very fulfilling. Thank you so much, David, for sharing your experience as a counselor um, and the challenges and rewards of, of, of such a career. We were wondering, um, what kind of advice do you have for dealing with difficult and uncomfortable conversations? Now, maybe to think a bit about sort of difficult conversations, let's, for, let's as an example, say you're confronted with someone with strong emotion, they're in, their, in your face, they're very angry. First of all, you've got to take a breath, you're probably shocked a bit. You have to be in tune with your thoughts and your reactions and manage right away. Don't react. Um, be aware of your sort of phys physical tension and sort of what your body's telling you as well. So a strong reaction is not the best approach. Back off and breathe and listen and observe. Matching someone's raised voice is not wise, so don't escalate and don't get defensive. 
You want to listen, perhaps repeat back and summarize. A person will have a hard time staying angry when you don't get defensive. Validate what the person is saying. They will feel heard. Maybe no one's been listening to them for the last week. Summarize or paraphrase. Um, you should notice using these techniques that the anger or the frustration is subsiding and uh, nonverbal behavior is settling down as well. Watch out for trying to change people's minds, your own agenda, like educating them. Make sure you take the time to understand their perspective, get the big picture, and then you should be able to make sense of why this person is upset, what their story is. Another difficult situation is maybe someone's very emotional and crying. Typically, a tendency might be to back away and go to another topic, but no, this could be a breakthrough. So they trust you enough to show their emotions, stay with the emotions and try to help explore further using words like, can you tell me how you're feeling right now? Listen to words used carefully as they're very powerful and this will direct your line of questioning. Be confident, not hesitant, validate and show compassion. Sometimes as well, we're uncomfortable with different topics. Um, maybe we don't have a lot of experience with something or they're culturally taboo, something not talked about openly in our families. So I think for awkward conversations, I think we have to try to understand and develop insight about what triggers you have to uncomfortable feelings. Try to work on that. Be honest with the person. I don't have a lot of experience in this area, but I'm willing to work with you. We don't have to have all the answers. However, if our own anxieties and insecurities mean we push away and avoid topics, then this is a disservice to the people who are coming for help. They need someone who is confident. So critical reflection is required afterwards. We have to learn and grow from it and get lots of education to address gaps in knowledge. Thank you. So it seems like um, we just got a little bit of a look into the lessons that you share with some of your students. Um, and that leads me into my next question on what it's like to teach students in the health sciences program because you are a facilitator for the communication scale course. Um, what do you think are some of the greatest challenges for students in regards to enhancing their communication skills? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> First of all, the students are amazing. I just want to say the students are amazing and it's a uh, uh, a real blessing to be part of the program for sure. We learn from each other. It's not like me teaching them. I think we all learn from each other. So we all have different cultural backgrounds and sometimes this is a challenge when being asked to try out new techniques in the lab, the simulation lab, such as touch, shaking hands, direct eye contact, asking questions that are sensitive. You know, students are moving sometimes from a position of discomfort, taking risks, understanding the perspective of others and learning from others as they watch fellow students role play and as they give feedback. So I've seen two approaches. <clears throat> One is learning to fail and understanding this is normal and required. Through taking risks, students learn more and others watching are encouraged and learn more too. Or students may choose to play it safe, not take risks and learn so much less. If they adopt this approach throughout life, their careers will be safe but likely very boring and unfulfilling. Being confronted with situations that require the use of drill down close-end questions can be challenging. Putting aside your own discomfort and being willing to ask sensitive questions in a professional manner. For, for example, asking someone if they're thinking of harming themselves or getting a history regarding excessive drinking 
talking to someone about their sexuality and preferences, talking to older people about death and dying. I think the key is students need to be flexible and open to new experiences and trust their instincts, marry their personalities with learning new strategies and skills. Sometimes it's hard for students to learn. People will not always want help or appreciate help. That's sometimes a big surprise too. Learning to always strive to have unconditional positive regard for people. Give them a safe place to share their feelings without judgment. We may not agree with the behavior or choices people make, but we want to accept them as they are. Understanding how much we are communicating without using words, how to use this effectively to test for congruence. For example, someone may say they are happy but appear sad or nervous. One of the most important skills is to convey caring through our tone of voice and attending behavior. Clients will tell us that while perhaps we didn't have the best way of phrasing questions, they could tell we really cared. So being authentic and real is really important and sometimes challenging as we struggle to find our personalities while learning all these new skills. And maybe the last few points is around listening. It's, it seems simple, yet it's actually hard to do. It's, it takes a lot of discipline to sometimes we have too much clutter in our heads, too much thinking about what to say next, so there isn't a dreaded gap with silence. Uh, understanding in the beginning that active listening will provide the cues for the appropriate questions. Silence often is very good and shouldn't be avoided. Students sometimes keep talking so silence can be avoided. In our typical social conversations, this might be seen as awkward, I, I get that, but in a professional relationship, Silence can be very therapeutic. For example, after a client has opened up and shared some deep feelings, allowing a pause can provide an invitation to the client to share more. Thank you, David, for um, sharing with us some of your tips and advice and tools to enhancing our communication skills. Um, along the same line, uh, empathy is also another, another essential skill um, for workers in the healthcare field. Many perceive it as being an inherent personality trait. I know that was the case for me. Um, but uh, over time, it's been said to be a learned ability and skill. So could you speak a little bit about um, empathy and how students can develop their ability to become more empathetic? Yes, that's a great question. I've just been thinking about that over the last few days. I don't have many answers to that really, but I'll just give you a few thoughts on that. I think empathy is an inherent human trait, but some of us are a little more concrete, shall I say, than others. We don't realize sometimes we aren't conveying empathy and need to be taught this. I know I've had a few students in the past who are surprised. They think they're conveying empathy, but the feedback from the stimulated patient is they didn't feel it. So with feedback from peers and simulated patients, we learn how to connect with clients and what strategies to use. It could be as simple as understanding that a, a mom loves her daughter, so when you see her for a second appointment, remember her name and details about the last conversation. The mom will likely feel warm personal regard for you, and with this rapport building, your emotional bond together will be stronger. With this stronger emotional bond, you begin to tackle more challenging questions and issues together, and there's that empathy bond as well. I think understanding perspective is important, trying to imagine the client's world, what they're going through, how they're coping, that certainly helps with empathy. Thinking about what their abilities and strengths are, 
understanding courage, the courage they must have had to come today in providing hope. Sometimes by getting someone to describe their typical day helps develop empathy as well. We want to understand, uh, but we don't want to become enmeshed in their world, their emotions. And when that happens, it's hard to be objective and helpful. So I guess that's kind of the downside of empathy. We have to have boundaries. I think having good listening skills is key as well. You can practice this, taking time to put aside your agenda and unselfishly giving your time and devotion to fully attend to the person in front of you. As you build rapport, you develop trust and ideally some compassion for their presenting concerns. Communicating with good eye contact, attending behavior, conveying that what they are saying is important. Not interrupting and pausing provides an invitation for people to continue exploring what is on their mind. Some of us are more practical or think in more linear ways. Um, we need to put emotion in our voices when we express empathy. Perhaps self-disclosure uh, to help connect as well. Everyone can find ways to connect with a topic or a person they care about. Uh, so how does this translate to a client in need? Often thinking of how they must be feeling, their worries about coming for help, should they open up, will this person judge them or think they are stupid or horrible, how it takes a lot of courage and conviction to put ourselves in this vulnerable spot. Thinking of the client and their struggle may also help with empathy building. Thank you. And then just to end this off, our last question is, what advice would you give to undergraduate students wishing to pursue a career in healthcare? Well, I'm glad it's the last question because I'm getting worn out here. <laughs> Stop and ask yourself, why healthcare? Try to tap into as many experiences as possible to get a decent understanding of some aspects of healthcare for sure. Volunteering, shadowing other people, attending workshops, joining committees, get involved and don't depend on what others are saying or what you're reading. Make sure you have perspective so it's easy to follow the crowd and hard to pull away and think differently. And you're not rewarded for that either. Sometimes you need to get away a bit so you can think with clarity um, um, and not be swayed so much by what others are saying. Find a few good mentors, people perhaps seven to ten years ahead of you in their careers and and, and and perhaps they will help guide your way. Have a great support group. Make sure you're, you network and don't isolate yourself. Um, take care of yourself. Balance work and social life is very important. Watch how you're coping. Are you bringing home work, which leads to more stress over time? Develop some strategies around that. Are you excited about what you're doing or are you bored? You know, monitor that closely. Are you still growing or are you stagnant? If stagnant, shake things up. New courses, training, job career changes, find a job recruiter to transition to a new field, talk to your mentor, take action. Um, you know, over the course of your professional life, you're not looking at one career, I suspect. Over the course of your professional life, you're looking at many different careers. I started in pediatrics and it ended up in research, geriatrics, and teaching. So be open to new experiences. Be, be involved in productive committees. Try to hang out with people you enjoy being with who are positive, hardworking, and trustworthy. Seeing patients when they are vulnerable is a very big responsibility. Remember, you can learn so much from them. My last few points are working in the healthcare industry comes with a lot of pressure. For example, working in a hospital and being pressed to discharge someone as soon as possible. This may not always line up 
with what you agree with or your moral code, find ways of compromise, work hard with team members to come up with the best practices possible. Always appreciate the skill sets around you and learn about different disciplines and embrace interprofessional work. And uh, really know your community. Know intimately key community resources, how to refer, limitations, cost, travel. There's no excuse not to be knowledgeable. And finally, think of healthcare in the broadest sense, the broad determinants of health. Health is not just medically based. So much more is related to housing, security, safety, finance, proper diet, access to education. So those are my thoughts. We would like to thank David for taking the time to sit down with us and sharing his profound insight. We would also like to thank our listeners for tuning in and hope they were able to learn some new perspectives on a healthcare worker's journey in relation to communication-heavy roles.